0: Welcome, Impactful Parents. It's time for the Impactful Parenting Podcast, where I give you parenting tips and resources to make you a more impactful parent to your school-age child. I am your host, Christina Campos. Welcome, Impactful Parents. Today, we're going to be talking about raising a child with dyslexia. Hello, my name is Christina Campos, and I'm founder of The Impactful Parent, and I help parents of school-aged children turn their chaos into connection. And today, welcome to my Inspire and Learn series, where real parents come on and tell their story of inspiration and learning. Because a wise man learns from his mistakes, but a wiser man learns from other people's mistakes. And today, we're going to be learning from Lynn Greenberg. I am excited to introduce you to Lynn because her son, Jonathan, was born with dyslexia. He could not read or write like many of the other children his age. So instead of giving in to all that frustration, Jonathan used his struggle as a catalyst for creativity. And today, Jonathan overcame his disability. He loves to read, and he even co-authored a book with his mom, Lynn, to write a children's book called Robbie, the Dyslexic Taxi and the Airport Adventure. So with dyslexia being so common, amongst so many families, I invited Lynn onto the impactful parent stage to normalize that dyslexic journey that many parents travel and to talk about parenting a dyslexic child and how best to support them. And then finally, I want to hear all about this book that she wrote, which is going to be an amazing resource to our impactful parent families. Thank you for being here.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and have this conversation with you.
0: Well, we all want to know how did this begin with your dyslexic child journey? And I will point out right away to the audience, you know, so many, so many families go through this journey and rarely is it easy, including myself. Um, for those of you who listen, often they you guys know that um, not only am I the founder, but I also am a mom of four kids of my own. and my oldest child is also very dyslexic and had my own journey along these lines. But I, I want to hear about yours, Lynn, so I can compare them and see how they might differ. What happened?
1: I have four children as well. Um, John is my youngest of four. So I had sort of been through the drill of what many people navigate, you know, going to school and learning to read. He's much younger than the others. And I knew right away that something just wasn't quite right. The child could tell you every Thomas the tank engine name, but not tell you that Thomas started with T. And he didn't want to do like the ABC song. He just... He just wasn't following the, you know, normal quote unquote sort of uh, path. And people tried to tell me that he wasn't smart and that he was a boy. And and I, I knew in my heart and my gut that that wasn't accurate. I knew he was smart. I just knew something was up and I didn't really know much about dyslexia. And I started learning about it. And and I finally found someone who believed that that this was a possibility, and we had him tested, and sure enough, classic dyslexic, super bright, but you know needed to learn how to read and navigate things differently.
0: That's so interesting because similarly, my son refused, just downright put down his foot on <laughs> to me. That was, I think, his first act of certain defiance um, when he was literally a preschooler and said, I do not want to learn my alphabet. You can't make me. And I was like, what's going on? I really thought he was just being stubborn, but I didn't know much about dyslexia either. i He's my, when I mean, my first born, I was, I was a super naive, you know, parent at the time. And it took a while for me to figure out what was going on. And I definitely got so frustrated along the way, just going, what, why, why is this not adding up? What's something's off, but why can't I tell what it is? And, um, and then to finally, yes, go and actually get tested and discover it. And, and even today, you know, he's definitely very dyslexic, but his dyslexia, I don't feel is the type of dyslexia that maybe you would see pretty often. I know that when people think about the word dyslexia, the first thing that comes to their brain is typically, oh, they, they can't um, put their sentences in the right order or maybe their, their letters are backwards. Well, that's not necessarily the case with my son. And as my journey continued on, I realized that everybody's dyslexia looks different, which was not what I expected when I first started this journey. So what does Jonathan's dyslexia look like?
1: Uh, So when he was little, you know, when we finally figured out that he was dyslexic, it was very difficult to navigate uh, his journey in the public school system where we were. Um, I had his teacher in first grade saying, I don't understand, you know, he can memorize the story, but he can't read it. And there was a definite lack of understanding. Um, so for for us, we uh did some searching, and there is a school that just teaches dyslexics or children with language-based learning issues. And um, we made the family commitment to get him there. You know, I drove. 45 minutes to an hour every day you know and i had other children like we we made the family commitment and for john he he was very much um artistic and before he could read for him he could express himself so so well with his art and then when he learned how to read uh for him he learned with what's called the orton gillingham method and every child that I've met who, who used this method um, learned how to navigate and to, to read very well, you know, to greater or lesser degrees, but his reading now is, you know, he may be a little slower once in a while, but he's very much um, fluent, a fluent reader can read anything. He went to college. He's in graduate school now for his art. Um, So for him, uh, it was just a matter of of sort of unlocking that box and art stayed with him. It still has always been the way that he communicates and, um, you know, shows his passion. So for him, it was definitely his art was an, was was very important.
0: That is great to hear. And I could say the same about my son, who's now 21 at the university level thriving doing well um but in order to get there he did learn how to navigate his disability um so that it wasn't a disability it was just something he had to you know do um he learned how to get resources online to help him read and he is a mm-hmm. proficient reader now um but you know it's interesting that his path uh, also included you know, Go into a school that really was able to support him and his dyslexia and teach him how to navigate that way. And I think it's important for parents to know that, yeah, we have these great successful sons who are doing great right now, but it did not come without a lot of effort from, from them and from us as a supportive family. So I want to move into that right now with you, with sure. your journey. You know, what was something that you say think to your back, you know, you're thinking back on um Jonathan, as a young child, what did you do that you could say, yes, I did that right. And that would be great advice for the next parent who's going through this. Oh, I
1: think 100% you have to go with your gut. I think you have to listen to your child and and don't listen to the noise around you. People tried to tell me he just, he wasn't smart. He was slow. He was a boy. And I think if I had if I had really just listened to that, I think it would have been harder so much harder for him because he wouldn't have been believed. So you know he wouldn't have gotten the education he needed and he wouldn't have been believed and I think I think when children hear negativity like that they they internalize it and I think it's really important to really listen to what that child is telling you. And sometimes it's not just verbal it's it's the nonverbal cues that are important. You know, your child could be acting out, your child could be reverting to some babyish behavior, whatever it is, there's there's so many signs that are nonverbal. And I think you have to look at your child and the whole package and and listen to what you think is right.
0: I love that. I really do. And one thing I want to point out to the parents that you said was. Um, So the signs, you know, I think as parents, one of the biggest mistakes we make is that we want to dismiss it away. Like we want to believe those doctors that say that, oh, it's okay. You know, he's the third in line. So of course he's going to, you know, have delayed speech. The older kids are talking for him or whatever that is, but you do have to go with your gut. And you want to believe those doctors sometimes because it's so hard to, to even, come to that realization that you might have a child that has some extra needs that you're gonna have to put some time and energy into. Um, so many times as a parent, I think we we look at our kids' success as a reflection of our own success. And really those do not correlate, but we still can't help ourselves that if your child's successful, then you feel successful. And when you have a child that has a learning difference and some struggles, it can make you as a parent feel lesser. And I want to tell everybody right now, you are not lesser. This has nothing to do with that. Um, But it can be really difficult to accept. And the signs, like if if your child is avoiding reading, just like ours did, like refusing to um, learn the alphabet. Kids lean into things that are easy for them. And kids lean into things that they're good at. And of course, they're going to fight and avoid things that they aren't things that are challenging, they're not going to want to do. So of if you course. see your child avoiding something in education, whether it's reading or writing or math or whatever that might look like, <clears throat> just that could be a little red flag that you can kind of notice and maybe start taking some notes on for the future to see if it might be an issue. That was definitely
1: our story with John. And at this point now, honestly, we we call it his superpower. It's made him a kind and empathetic and artistic and really a, a wonderful, unique person. He can find his way in and out of different different problems with, with creativity. And I think, you know, I think that's really important to realize that it's important to give this a name, but it's not, not a good idea to just make it a label. I think it's, you know, who he is and how we had to address, what we had to address his dyslexia. But it it shouldn't be labeled as a negative. I think it's just something that you have to find and identify, and then move on. And and uh, it's his superpower. So
0: now there's a flip side to this coin, and that is we're not perfect. I know I did some things wrong um, as my kids were growing up that, I, of course, were not intentional. But I wish I could have, you know, go back into time and and change things a little bit. So is there anything that you wish you could have done better? with Jonathan to help him? I think that I learned my mistake was,
1: I I thought he was being lazy at first. Like he didn't want to do the ABCs and I would like insist that he try. And I didn't understand, I didn't know what dyslexia was and he is my youngest by quite a bit. And I thought, oh, he's just, he doesn't want to sit down. He doesn't want to try. And I think my mistake was not listening to my gut at first or listening, but not listening well. And I thought, you know, if I just make him sit long enough, he'll, he'll just do it. And I realized that that wasn't the case. And I, I think it's important
0: to learn from that mistake and listen better, quicker. I wish that I had asked more questions. I wish that I would have accepted the diagnosis a little bit sooner and just said, okay, I may not understand this whole dyslexia thing, but I wish it would have just dove in headfirst and tried to find out as much as I could. But instead, I was a little reluctant. I'm not going to lie. I was like, yeah, okay, okay, but we're going to you know, overcome that. And I kept trying to push forward when really I should have been leaning in um, so I could have figured out how to support him better instead of, I don't know. I think I put too much on the people I was hiring for help, right? Like I wanted them to fix it because I didn't know how. And mm-hmm. instead, you know, I got to be a part of that team. I got to help and do work with my kid at home. And it took me a while to to get to that place where I was accepting that I'm going to have to have a part in helping him. I wanted everybody else to help him instead. And and that's not okay. I was listening to people saying
1: he's he's not, he's just, you know, a boy and he's, you know, being lazy. And it wasn't until I kind of realized that that didn't feel right to me that I really pushed to find someone to test him. And it's interesting, you know, I think we're not alone, obviously, but the tester told me that sometimes the kid gets brought in by maybe one parent. And then when the diagnosis of whatever it is, is given nine times out of 10, one of the parents does not want to believe that she's right. Right. And this is somebody who's had, you know, 30 had had at the time, 30 years of experience was really highly known in her field. And she said, you know, there's nothing I can do, I can give them the facts. And then they have to decide how they're going to take those facts and help help or not help their child. So, you know, people want their kids to, you know, all be whatever, quote, unquote, normal is. But the truth is, is that. Everybody comes in different shapes and sizes and different abilities. And just because it has a name doesn't mean um, it's a negative. I think we just have to figure out, like anything else, what's going to be best for that child.
0: Now, you had the unique opportunity of co-writing this book with Jonathan, which is amazing. Yeah, let's talk about the book, which I have here. Robbie and the Dyslexic Taxi and his Airport Adventures I love it. It's very, very cute. Can you tell us just quickly about maybe the moral of the story? What was uh, the purpose? If somebody were to buy this, what's the purpose of the book?
1: There aren't a lot of children's stories in the neurodiverse community. And uh, so, John, we wanted we wanted kids who are dyslexic to see that there are others like them out there and they're going, we have had such a positive response that we're actually going to write a series and use other neurodiverse, cate- you know, sort of categories and um, differences. Um, so for this, you know, we have a taxi who's got to figure out what to do when his usual route gets changed. How is he creatively going to get his passenger to the airport and not get lost, get him there on time. And um, so we think it's important for the the kids who are reading it who might be dyslexic, for children who aren't dyslexic to understand a little more about what that means, for parents to have conversations with their children, for educators to uh, be able to maybe think about a child in their class that they might not understand, or to explain it to their class. So it's really been um, something that's been good for a lot of different types of people and, and readers.
0: I think my favorite thing about the book is that it's not a book that says this is dyslexia and so many others that are out there. I mean, there's, you can go get that, those books, if that's what you are looking for. But this, the premise is about how Robbie thinks and how he solves problems. And that's really the captures the big idea of the book, like how, most dyslexic kids or Robbie himself think outside of the box to yes. solve their problems. And so I feel like it's a book that kids are really going to be able to identify with. So congratulations. Well, thank you there. So Robbie can be bought um, on Amazon. If you have an inspiring story and want to share your story with the audience so that others can learn from you, please go to the dot com slash work with me and sign up. And I hope today's episode brought value to your day. If you would like to become a more impactful parent, download the Impactful Parent app. The Impactful Parent app is free to download and full of episodes just like this one that are going to help you in your parenting journey. So carry help and tips and parenting resources right in your pocket so that you can refer to it when you need it most. So download the app for free and discover new techniques to make your parenting more effective and learn the warning signs to problems so that you can stop things before they start. There is so much inside the app. You just have to go check it out. So go to your app store and type in impactful parent and I'll be there. Or you can go to the and discover how you can step up your parenting game and become a more impactful parent. But until next time, you got this. I'm just here to help. Thank you for listening today. Remember to subscribe and share this podcast with a friend. And don't forget, the Impactful Parenting Podcast is an extension of the Impactful Parent community. Go to the Impactful Parent website and download the free Impactful Parent app so you don't miss a parenting tip that can help you and your family. Thanks for listening today, so go to theimpactfulparent.com. And see you next episode.